So welcome to another episode of The Motive. I'm joined here today by Costa Evangelou. Welcome, Costa. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. No, thank you for being here. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, so Costa, you're a man of many talents. Um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Just a little overview before we start really exploring the finer detail. Oh, well, um, well, thank you for having me. I, my background, I was born in Cyprus. I grew up in England. Uh, I've been involved in many diverse things. Uh, predominantly, I'm involved in sports and in church, um, church organisations and community projects. Uh, so that's a bit of my background. So, um, so we know obviously it began in Cyprus, but where did the journey begin uh, in the UK? And I suppose what spot inspired you to do selfless service and human humanitarian work? That's a good question. They're good questions, actually. Well, I grew up, I, I was born in Cyprus, grew up in England, uh, came in, I was in 1960 and grew up in the 60s in London. Uh, it's just basically life experiences. Uh, it's my disposition. E everyone has different outlooks in life. And from my observations in life, I was drawn, gravitated towards wanting to contribute and support uh, needs and uh, people's journeys in, in, in a sense. And uh, also because I had challenges growing up as well, I went to help alleviate other people's challenges. So through my experiences and how I overcame certain things, I wanted to, to impart that kind of uh, process and, and experience into other people's lives to make, it, make people's lives better and, and improve their lives. So that was the background that mo drove me to wanting to, to, to work uh, within different humanitarian and community projects. So, so was it mainly with religion or was it um, in other community areas or was there any other specific, was there any specific places that you used to, to do this sort of work with? Well, basically the, the foundation underlining everything was my faith and my belief in God and uh, believing that, you know, uh, looking at as an example for myself, Jesus's character how he was compassionate, he was loving, he he helped people overcome their difficulties through miracles often time, but seeing his nature, he was loving, forgiving, compassionate and things like this. And there was tributes that I, I, I wanted to embrace. So that was very much the kind of attitudes and virtues that drove me. I'm not saying that I'm successful and I'm not Jesus Christ, but I wanted to emulate that. And so, so that was a very much a part of it, but also through seeing, looking around my life and seeing what my community, what, what, how can I improve? How can I help support people in their, in their particular journey? How, how did you find religion helped you in your own issues and your own adversities and challenges? Well, uh, with religion, it's about, as I said, it's about faith. It's all about faith and, and, um, as I was growing up, because my my mother and my grandmother were women of faith, they used to fast, used to attend church, and so forth. I saw their example as well, and uh, I felt when the world, we always have challenges in life, and I felt for, we for myself, it's like it's not just a physical thing; it's a spiritual thing, an emotional thing, and I helped through prayer, meditation, reflection. It helped me uh, sort of stabilize centralize my life so i could rise above challenges in life to know that there was always a greater force a greater power watching over us and sometimes when we had needs and so we prayed 
which we believe God, and somehow God brought the right people around our lives or helped us navigate a situation and a challenge. So I find strength in faith and in God. It wasn't just having a crutch, so look, I've got these problems, I need God to intervene and help me. But I felt God strengthened me to help me uh, go through my challenges in life because we all have adversities, we all have challenges. There's no one living that will not have a challenge, but how we look at the challenge determines how we move move forward and overcome. You can use a challenge and become negative, or you can use a challenge and become positive. And I think faith and the Bible, the Word of God, helps us look at situations in a positive light. Look, look at it as a stepping stone to get us better, to make us better people, to learn from these things. It's like a weight, uh, a weightlifter. They need adversity to help them go stronger. And life spiritually, the adversity should help us go stronger. There's an old saying that says, "What doesn't kill you makes you stronger." So, I embrace those kind of philosophies, those kind of mindsets. Was there ever a time where you feel like your faith might have been tested through these? Was there ever uh, uncertainty with uh, your religion or faith through your journey or? Again, a, a good question. The, the, in life, there's always, you have always uh, times that you are challenged and you question, you reflect, you meditate. And you. the question is, what can I learn out of this situation? And I've always believed in God. That's never been in doubt for myself. Other people may question God. I've never questioned whether there's a God or whether God exists or not. I question my response to God's presence in my life. There have been challenges in my life, tested my faith. And so at those times, challenging times, I drew, I drew strength and found consolation through my prayer life, through my reading of the Word of God and through other people, examples to me who were my mentors, who helped me through my challenges to move forward. Because when I, as I was growing up, I had some setbacks. When I was 10 years old, I had an operation that went wrong, that I ended up in hospital for over nearly a year. I was in and out of hospitals. It was an operation, uh, routine appendicitis, but the surgeon the operation i don't know what happened there but something went wrong and my side was open for nearly a year so that set me back and my mum through prayer for encouragement visiting me all the time in hospital being with me helped me through that and i do believe her faith strengthened me and i saw that and we move as a young person i was really oblivious to the seriousness of it but it was a serious situation life-threatening was it it could have been life-threatening and you was in hospital for a whole I year i was needed for a year in and out it was probably one one term was probably six months in hospital. Uh, at the time, came out, then went back again, and there was questions whether I had to be reoperated, this and that. But my side was open for a year. Well, you say side was my open. My side, where the appendix was, was open. So when I was eating, I had I had a hope. It was it was it was uh, there was a uh, big issue. I won't go graphically on, yeah, yeah, on yeah. the interview, but it was quite bad. So we didn't really know it. We're talking about uh, fifty. 55 years ago yeah so yeah. The, the medical wasn't at Had that time been it well developed it wasn't perhaps at that time but yeah so it was a challenge time and then later in my late teens i was caught in a crossfire of a gang fight and again i had I had plans i was involved in music at the time then and my whole life went pear-shaped everything blew away because my, my face was disfigured i was I got punched in the face with a pint of beer mug and my cut up and my face swelled. So anyway, every, well, really? there were setbacks in life. Yeah, yeah. But I do believe that a setback is a setup for something greater. So perhaps it wasn't for me. And uh, and that set the course navigate for me to navigate, to move forward, to be where I am today, which 
you know, I, I, I don't regret where I am today. I, I appreciate it and I'm humbled by the, the, the opportunities I've, I've had presented to me over the years. So we took something bad and we make, it, we make something good out of something bad. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's almost like the uh, glass half full or glass half empty. Yeah, um, correct, correct. So, um, you were, so you were the founder of the Apostolic Christian Church? Did I say that right? right? Yeah, I'm, I oversee the Apostolic Christian Church. When we say founder, it's something that was birthed through um, through other people being involved as well. As, you know, so we work as a team. But the church has been there from the time Jesus, from Pentecost forward. But we just found a community coming together to express what the Bible taught, what Jesus taught at the very beginning and try to embrace those values and those attitudes and that expression that way of life so that was in a sense brought together in 1996 uh through certain there was certain um uh, you know, uh, needs that were around, and we felt we we got together to to try and uh, respond to the challenges of other people's lives, so reflect uh, so, what what the what the gospel's about. So you started your own um, community, it, like uh, you drew you, you brought a community together, did we you? We brought a community. It's not in the sense when we say our own, it's not my own. It's wider group of people because I work with a communal body as well with the the church together in England. So we, it's working with in 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 collaboration. Okay. with the other communities the other churches to help with social issues for example the homeless uh, anti-social behavior things like this so the church was birthed to sort of help help the community right right and and that's specifically in edmonton isn't it that church is based in edmonton but i work with many churches across the country and different parts of the world right okay and um, how many people do you, would you say kind of currently go to your church at your... We have a few hundred people connected and members of the church, but we work with hundreds and thousands of people throughout the country and hundreds of thousands all over the world, other churches that are over. Because one of my other roles, the hats are where I'm a president of a church council. Okay. It's called Ichthys Church Council, which is a more kind of Pentecostal churches, which again, we're full members of church together in England. We were the other denominations the other mainstream churches. So we have churches, we ordain, consecrate, we, we run seminars, conferences for all the churches all in different parts of the world. So I, I oversee hundreds of thousands of people connected to those churches. So like um, talking about different parts of the world, you've actually been to another country and spoke in front of a lot of people before. I've, I've been to many countries. Have you? <laughs> I've been many of the African, uh, African countries. I've been to Ghana, Uganda, Rwanda, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa. So we work, many of our churches are based there. So we've ordained and consecrated bishops and ordained ministers in those countries. And we run seminars and conferences and Thanksgiving festivals in those countries. I think the one you're alluding to is in Ghana, yeah. which was in Kumasi. We had over 100,000 people attend that. And, that you, and you stood up and spoke in front of I was of the keynote speaker. A few years I was traveling there prior, prior to COVID. I was traveling quite a bit, but we do a lot of humanitarian work there with Ghana, in 2004, in fact, um, we, we were asked to go and see if we can help some of the communities there. And there was a region there that they, you know, it's quite basic. And it was a, a lot of, of, it was impoverished in some sense, but everyone's happy for them 
they're all Simplicity. Ha- everyone's happy. Simplicity. Like, yeah. We take things for granted, but they're happy. You know, it's happiness. But they they had a need for a medical center because people had the, like just a, a, an infection of some type. The hospitals were miles away, miles away. So we decided to to raise funds and build a clinic there, a health center, which we did. And we and it, we inaugurated it in 2004, which is still running today, and it sees over about 500 people a month attend. It's a, a maternity pl- uh, center and also like a, a, mini, a mini hospital, and um, and the government supply, supplies the the medical staff. We supply the building and the equipment and some of uh, some of the medications. We supply them. And what was that all through, like donations? Through donations, I did a lot of uh, 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 events uh, to raise money. For okay. example, I ran the London Marathon two years, 2003, 2004, I ran the London Marathon. So we raised quite a bit of money through that and, over, and through other people donating and supporting and ourselves also. So we, we funded it. Right, right. And obviously I understand um, your belief with faith, but what kind of drove you to going to all of these different places and helping all of these different places why not keep it quite local to where you was it was by default was it I, it's not something i i said you know what I'm, i want to go to africa i want to go to america i want to go to it, it wasn't that it was i started doing something locally and then you have connections you join the dots the word and spreads. then doors open word spreads and then and then other people ask for your assistance your help and we according to resources that we have we can help and conviction as well. So, for example, when you go and see something, if you can help, you help. But it's by default. I give you one. I give it a, a little like illustration, like a little sort of like uh, 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 a little story to, cl- to show you what I mean by things happen unexpectedly. I was just recently in Cyprus. I just came back from Cyprus a few weeks ago, so I went to officiate a wedding in Cyprus, and um, I was with my daughter and my two grandchildren, and we were traveling around together just going to different shops supermarkets and while in the course of that going to just do regular just menial things we went to a supermarket and there there was a lot of dogs running around you know the the stray dogs and there was one limping and my sister my sorry my daughter had compassion she said oh dad we can't leave the dog here can we help him now i wasn't planning to adopt a dog I wasn't planning. It's I'm not comparing this to. I'm not comparing this to my humanitarian work. I'm just giving you one example. Yeah, things yeah, happen of out of being planned. So I, I looked at the dog, and it was compassion. So I said, okay. When I knew that when you intervene in someone else's need, you got, had to. You have to assume responsibility, and that is, responsibility implies not just your time, but also your finances. You know, and and sort of like your effort. Mm. So by deciding to intervene in that issue, that poor animals uh, uh, you know struggle it, it meant that it would cost us something so we took the dog to a vet the vet examined it gave it all the treatment his rabies shot vaccines and all the different things and then like we 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 put word out on social media and we got a lot of assistance it was amazing overwhelming how many people involved to help us they sent we sent him to a dog sanctuary we got him a passport. He's there now, and hopefully he'll be joining us in London in September. Now, I didn't plan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't go to have a wedding. It's just and the same thing. And I'm not comparing this in no way to the needs of humanity, people. But I'm saying if you have the qualities of compassion and you you care, you can't you can't ignore. 
the needs around the world. So so that's that's what when you ask the question, how did it happen? Oh, I travel overseas and do different things. It just happened. One door opens another another door, and then when you when you connect with that, then you have feel responsibility and you want to do something. So you you have to make the effort to to you know not neglect it, neglect people. You you help. And how um you know when you done like the work in Ghana. How, how did you find it affected the people that you were helping? Well, there's people there, I believe, alive today that would not be alive if the clinic was not there. If because I'll give an example. Work. When we went, when they showed us the land, because when we went there, they were, we, were, we were looking for the land. We asked them to donate the land and we fund the clinic. Obviously, it's not going to be our clinic. It's going to be their clinic. It's going to be their land. So we said to the chiefs in the area, because things in Ghana cannot really happen unless you've got a chief's uh, uh, you know, endorsement and support and collaboration. So one of the chiefs in the area offered us the land, a, f a few acres to use to build the clinic there in the Eastern region. But his brother, he had a brother at the time, when he agreed to give us the land, his brother prior, prior to the clinic being built in, hurt his leg and had gangrene. And within six, man, six months, he actually unfortunately died prior to the clinic being built. So it highlighted the importance that what was needed for healthcare. So yeah. healthcare. So uh, now that the clinics built, I believe women in childbirth, hemorrhaging can be attended to. Uh, there's other things that for us in England we take for granted. We, you know, you know, but something very small over there can become very serious. So that's that highlighted the important why that it needed to happen. So, so now I believe people in that area. But even the chiefs, uh, one of the, ch the, the, the one of the chiefs' assistants, he was very poorly, and it, the clinic saved his life. So this is one of many examples that uh, we we're seeing testimonials that we're we're getting feedback what's happening there. And how do you find the balance in life of looking after other people and trying to look after yourself? Well, you have to become. In a sense, when you wake when you wake up in the morning, you're not thinking about self. You become selfless, and that's part of the gospel message. Jesus Christ, the invitation He gives to us is deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Me. Unfortunately, the Western world is full of egos, me, myself, and I. It's all about me. The gospel is something different. It's about other people. And when you look at other people, you're really attending to yourself in the long term. You're helping yourself in a spiritual level and an emotional level. Because when you do something good psychologically and emotionally and spiritually you're benefiting but you don't know it so your focus was always making it about other people and focusing on being of service to other people than it was in the main to being of service to yourself that was more of a byproduct yeah, of what came back to you serving other people in the sense you're serving yourself because we're part of a, we're part of humanity so if I'm helping you, I'm helping myself. You're mm -hmm. part of your, my nature. You're, you know, we're, we're, we believe we're made in God's image and likeness. If I'm serving you, I'm serving God. Right, right. You see? And, yeah. and the criteria that Jesus gave for me in the scripture. See, often people argue about denominations. I belong to this denomination. I belong. For me, it's not about denominations. It's about being Christ-like. For me, it doesn't, even religion, it's being kind. Values. Uh, values, being kind. And, uh, and so, so Jesus said, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was naked, did you dress me? When I was in prison, did you visit me? And he said, well, where did we see you hungry? Well, when you see one of, you know, my brothers, one of, you know, you, you've served, you're serving me. So that's what it's all about. It's about serving the bigger plan. It's not just about me. There's, there's more to life than meets the eye. Yeah.
Would you, would you say you ever had a, ever had an experience um, with God? I've had many experiences. Have with God. you? Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, well, I remember vividly 1987, 30th August. I, I really had the spiritual encounter, my eureka moment, my Damascus Road experience, and that really changed the course of my life completely. What What was it called? I Damascus. Had, uh, well, well the, the, what the word Damascus Road experience relates to the Apostle Paul. He was called Saul before, one of the apostles in the Bible. In fact, he was going to. He was on Damascus Road. He was persecuting the church, and on his journey to get a certificate to put the Christians into prison. Jesus appeared to him and changed his life. And we call that the, the Damascus Road experience. Right. So my Damascus Road experience, I would say, really took place on the 30th of August, 1987. So it's like a... I love how specific that was. I, I remember it vividly because yeah. that changed the whole course of my life. I, I did the 180 degrees turnaround. People thought I went mad, but I woke up. I feel, I feel I came it's to like my a, senses. An awakening. It was an awakening, yes. Yeah. A spiritual, so I, when I was looking at three dimensions, you can say if you can look parallel this, I was looking at three dimensions, but then the fourth dimension came to place, the spiritual realm, and that changed everything. And I've never looked back. And what, what, what's really interesting is like people um, think that you was uh, going a bit crazy, like you said, and... There's obviously a bit of stigma around religion and this kind of are uh, that person's just kind of nuts and something like that. Yeah. How have you had to deal with that along your journey? Because there's obviously a there's obviously a real community for religion, yes. and then there's obviously a community for atheisms or yeah. other religions. Yeah. So, have you ever found it been a com conflict with yourself and other people, or is it? I know this again. That's a good question. It's in a sense people don't understand often. So I mean, people are afraid. They're afraid of change. Uh, they're afraid of maybe being challenged. Their ideologies might be challenged and things like that. For me, I, 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 I look to try and be the best version I believe that God wants me to be. And I respect everyone. Everyone, wherever the space they are, wherever place they are, it's up to them and they're on their journey. But for me, it's been the best version of what God wants me to be and how that's translated in my everyday life. And what was, what was Christ like? He helps people in spite, not because. I don't say, I run projects. I don't say, well, you've got to be a Christian to come to my project. I, we, 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 we support everyone. I work in interfaith. I, I speak at uh, mosques, uh, uh, meetings, for example, Dialogue Society. I have a very good relationship with the imam. I've got really, very good relationship with, uh, with the Jewish community. So I, I don't discriminate anyone. All I want to do is what I believe is good to enrich someone's life. I don't like to get involved in political mindsets. I don't take sides. I meet everyone face value according to their merit. And that's the most important thing for, for me in my journey. So, so how people see me, I respect that. People may not understand me, but I don't let that occupy the space of my mind. Meaning whether people like me or dislike me, it doesn't matter as long as I'm being good to everyone. That's what's important. And so coming back to what faith is and prayer is. Prayer is not about changing other people. Prayer is changing our, pers our perspective and our outlook in, in faces of challenge. So I can't change a person, but I can change the way I look at that person and still love and respect that person in spite of them not agreeing with me, not liking me, not caring about me. It doesn't matter. It's how am I? It, that's what changes me. Prayer is helping us to change. There's an old story actually, if I may. Yeah, of yeah, course. That's story. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a, a young man who wanted to grow as a Christian, wanted to become Christ-like. 
So he went to his spiritual mentor and he said, how do I become Christ-like? And his spiritual mentor said to him, well, look, go to the cemetery and I want you to criticize all the dead. Go to the cemetery, criticize all the dead. Say something bad about them. So he went to the cemetery and he said, oh, your, your grave is dilapidated, it's falling apart, it's, it's not being tended to, it, all weeds are growing, it looks terrible. And, and, then, and then he did what he had to do and he went back to his mentor and said, I've done it. He goes, now go back to the, same, to the same cemetery and compliment the dead. So he went back and he was starting to say nice things about their tombs, about the dead, about, you know, they must have had a good life and they were good people and their memory will be eternal. And anyway, and he went back to his spiritual mentor and he told him, I've done this. He says to him, so how do I become Christ? Because let me ask you a question, he said to him. When you went to the tomb, the, the grave, and you criticized the dead, what did they say to you? He said, nothing. He said, what did they do? He said, nothing. He goes, and when you went back and you complimented them, what did they do? He said, nothing. And he said, what did they say? He said, nothing. Because you go and do likewise and you shall become Christ-like. Right. So in the face of how people see you, whether good or bad, be still, be peaceful. And that's what being Christ-like is. Is that, is that what it means? It means be still and know that I'm God. So you don't react, you don't drive an emotion, you're not driven by emotion, you're not driven by anger, you're not driven by compliments, pride, you're driven by the sense, you know, humility. You're humble. You don't I'm rise. Doing the right because thing. someone who compliments you today may criticize you tomorrow. How are you going to face that? You rise up in pride, then the next day you get angry. You don't, you're not like a, like a sea, you know, waves going up and down. You've got to be consistent, be still, be peaceful, in spite of how you see and that way you, you rise above things you transcend you know opinion view and things like that have you always been like that or quite still and consistent or have you kind of adopted this along your journey or learn it along the way it's a journey of learning it's a, it's a progressive science if you like your experience help you shape you and you learn you grow but importantly the people around you to help sow and instill in you values and principles in your life good qualities i've had a lot of good positive people around and always gravitate towards people that you can enrich you because i always say what doesn't add to your life takes away and if you're around people that are always angry always criticize you can only give what you have if you're an angry person you can only give anger if you're a peaceful person, you give peace. So look, gravitate towards the peace. But people today, they, they're momentarily, their moment, it's all their sensations. They want sensation, they want quick fixes. They want, but be sometimes it takes a, something good to come about, it takes some time. For example, if you want to be an eagle, it takes 30 or so, I don't know how many days to hatch the egg. If you want to be a chicken, it's 20 days to hatch the egg. egg. So if you rush things, you're going to end up becoming like a chicken. You want to be an eagle, it takes longer. So the thing is this, is that if you want to fly, take your time if you want to be if you want to just jump and fall back to the earth rush ahead so it's about pacing about looking about learning about experiencing life and not being too reactive all the time of shorts fuses you know i've learned that through life so speaking about eagles yes. um, edmonton eagles oh, good <laughs> that was good a good lead on how, how did um so, so have you always been, you're obviously big into boxing. You've got yes. a massive passion for it. Your sons yes. were both professional yes. boxers. You also still uh, manage a professional or two. Yes. Um, how did you get into boxing yourself? Well, it was the sport I grew up with. It was, I loved boxing. I wasn't really into football and other types of sport. Boxing was a sport. I don't know what it was about. It was about, it's a team, but it's also individual. Because life, you fight through things in life yourself. And I always admired the great boxers. They were inspirational. 
I saw how you know they spoke, especially Muhammad Ali, and I always saw that he's the great fights for Joe Frazier and people like that. It was quite inspiring that you go in and you fight. And life is I, I parallel that to life. Me too. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like life, the four corners of the ring, as as one of the announcers says, the four corners of the world. And you got it depends who you have in your corner will determine how well or bad you can do in the ring. Oh, that's so right. we've we've got corner people around us help us in life. So I parallel. There's a lot of parallels there. They're metaphor, if you like, to life's journey. But I always like boxing because of the discipline, because of the fitness level. For me, boxing is the highest level, pinnacle of fitness, especially stamina, mindset, because boxing is not just about throwing punches, it's about stra strategy, it's like playing chess. And there's three golden rules, three principles I have when I train, because I'm a qualified England coach and I'm a qualified uh, British Boxing Board of Control coach. And so three things I, I teach the the the. the the, the group of people or the people that I work with is first of all the first thing you need to work on is stamina it's foundational the second thing is defense the third thing is offense and now space your your ring IQ so your stamina if you don't have good stamina have a good technician you are you're going to burn out so you need to build on that stamina there's no shortcuts you can't say you can't say you can't do a five mile run in, 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 you know, in, in two minutes, you know, you, you've got to put the effort in and what you put in, you get out, so stamina. Then your defense, you have to understand how to defend the vital parts of your body. You have to know how to stand your position, posture, balance, all these things. Then it's the offense. It's not your best fight. Anyone can throw a punch. And boxing is not about fighting, it's about self-control, about strategy, about planning, about looking IQ, looking what's ahead of you, having good people to get you to that position to become super fit in that sense so boxing has always been the main sport that i gravitated towards and i've been privileged that i've been able to be involved in it in an amateur level and in a professional level because i'm also an england official that i judge boxing shows and things like that and people often say how can you reconcile boxing to to the church and it's well it's easy because i've seen the benefits and the testimony how people's lives change i work with some of the most toughest people very tough people, streetwise, that in the street you wouldn't want to walk down a dark alley to see these people. <laughs> and they become like gentle giants because boxing takes away that ego that you want to prove yourself and whatever. So, and also it gives discipline, self-esteem and raises confidence. And when we present that to the community, because people don't, don't understand how I can be a churchman and have this kind of sport, because I manage some of the top, some top boxers. Especially the, the latest one is, is uh, Ezra, Ezra. Ta Ezra Taylor, who and I've managed my sons as well, who were yeah. master champions back in the day. But, but Ezra Taylor is a top boxer. Work, he boxes for Queensbury, and he's boxing in, in the 23rd of September. Sorry, I'm plugging that. Nah, no, that's all right. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Anyway, Make whatever. sure you get your tickets. So in, in Wembley Arena. But I'm saying so, and I see their character, their gentlemen, their, uh, you know, girls or, or men. Now we have women boxing, which is wonderful. So what I'm saying is so, so it's sort of, it's a, a continuation to a journey. It's body, soul and spirit. If you, you, if you look after your body, your body will look after yourself. After you, especially in later years. I'm 65 and I still do my five mile runs. I've run marathons. I've run 2019, the, the Athens. So I, we, we've got to look after ourselves as well in that sense to be useful to other people. Because mm -hmm. if you, we lead by example as well. It's very important. Inspire, you, you know, inspire example, others. Inspire you know, be, others to me. For be a good course, example. Yeah, yeah. And I want people to be better than I was. You know, you know, supersede that. And that's what's important. You've got to give people the platform that they can do it. Believe, yes, you can. People say, I can't. Kids 
grow up today, people say, you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, I, what I do, I take the T away and I say, you can. Do it. Move on. Become, do this. If you want to do this, believe. Have a dream. Have a vision. And move forward with it. And you see, you see what you can succeed, what you can achieve. You know? So these kind of things. Because um, you obviously started Edmonton Eagles. Um, what, why did you specifically start Edmonton Eagles, firstly? Well, there was social, there was, um, there was problems well, in the area where our church is based in, in Enfield. Right, Edmonton was okay. one of the most deprived areas in the country. Yeah, yeah. And there was um, a time in 2004, there was every month there was a, a youth fatality, gang-related stabbing or killing. In, in six months, six young people died. You can look it up in the stats, you can look it up in the, mm. in, in the journals or in the press. And so we were discussing with, with my church at the time how we can sort of like help bring young people in to give them their, their options in life. There's not, there's not peer, there's a lot of peer pressure. And people, and young people thought this is the only way, but we're saying to young people, there are, you've got options. It's not only just one thing, you, you can do other things as well. And it's not just people coming to do boxing, it's people to come and, and have a positive experience and validate themselves from all the negativity that's around. And so there was a lot of um, social issues at the time. Uh, anti-social behavior and things like this so uh, and so we were we were working with the metropolitan police at the time and uh, we had the faith forum base that all the faith groups were all together and there was a barrel commander at the time called simon o'brien who liked boxing as well and because my sons were boxing especially christopher who was became national champion uh, and we decided and i was with uh, our senior minister at the time penny f Sathil, who who was very much keen to work include the young people of the community she can she mentioned it to the barrel commander who he 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 felt it was a great idea. So they supported us to start the, the project in 2004. So from then we start, we were meeting two days a week, Tuesday and Thursday, then it went increased. And now we're six days a week. So we've got our own centre now in Montague Road. So we run it six days a week uh, and so forth. So we do every level. We do from just people want to do fitness. We work with the youth offending team. We work with the, with exclusion units. We work with the schools. We're going to schools. We run, uh, uh, run uh, programmes for them, life skills and things like this. So it's, it's a wholesome thing. It's not just about boxing. It's about life skills. Mm encouraging not just young people everyone whoever comes in everyone's valid in the same way and so we raise funds and we're supported to offer free free lessons uh, so people come along to attend if they can't afford to pay families to pay then we they subsidize so they can attend free so no one's turned away and we run shows during the year uh, at least four three four shows a year we have them and they compete and we have great testimonials young people's lives turn do 180 degrees turnaround i was going to ask you that like how do you feel like it's affected the individuals like and their personal growth do you do you see most of them end up becoming a, a much better person because of it or you know you can't help everybody like how, how? well you can't help everybody but the majority of people that we've worked with uh, lives have changed turned around and they have got ambitions in life for other things not just for boxing but many of them want to move on to become because of the people that come through the club 
that are competing as amateurs, want to be national champions, uh, want to move on to professional or want to be involved in the sport on one level or another. We have a lot of volunteers and we have youngsters, people who are using the club now come back and support the club. So, you know, even your father come along, yeah, comes yeah, along right. and helps out at the club. So it's open. It's, it's a community that everyone is welcome, inspired, not because the, the criteria is turn up. It's not whether you're this, whether you're that, whether you're good, whether you're bad, it doesn't matter. Just turn up and you see it will make the difference. Well, you, you've had like loads of different, um, well, a, a lot of people that I've spoke to in the past, they've said um, they, that they used to train there, that they used to coach there. I've met a gentleman called Tino recently, who's slightly older than me, that was coaching at your gym at one point. But um, I remember coming down before and you had someone from Tottenham, um, who came to see you, MJ, the Shaolin. Yes. yes. Shaolin I Monk. trained with the Shaolin Monk as well. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, you've had quite a few, few people go through um, yes. that door, to be fair. And how long has um, Edmonton, so how many years has that been? We've been, we started the project 2004 and we're still going now. And But we've moved to different locations. Uh, 2007, 2008 is where we've so we established, yeah, we established in, um, in Montague Road from 2007, 2008. And we had the place refurbished and we use that as our centre now. But as I said, it's a hub for the whole community and it's changed the, the, the area because that building was vandalised on a, on a regular basis. Since we've been there, with the, the, area, the ratio around the mile ra radius, I should say, around the area used to be quite, that road was quite a dangerous road, a territorial to, a postcode to go down. That's been all changed. Right, you know that all that's been even the police acknowledge that. And when we go into schools, uh, they through their statistics and the observations, they've seen that their the incidents in the school classrooms have gone down. And we've got the actual the the statistics for that. That was a, that was always I never had been there for until recently, but that was always what I loved about the concept of what you created um, in the area of, that it was for the people and especially from. Uh, for people that might have had certain challenges in their life that found it a bit of a safe haven rather than just going to church they could um, yeah. come to a place to to grow and become better and stronger and that's right. become more disciplined and yeah so that's it's, it's a really and how has it sustained itself over the years we've had a lot of support and we thank all our sponsors from beginning from the police from different organizations livery uh, from the livery companies, uh, from the council, the mayor's office. We had uh, Sadiq Khan come down. We did it the, for BBC TV. We did something recently. We got lottery funding. We got Jack Petchy. Uh, there's too oh, many. There's a lot of people who've been supporting over the years, and also the tireless uh, work. Obviously, that there has to be employed as well people to be there to run the club. But also, we've had a lot of volunteer uh, pool of volunteers who support the club because they see the impact it has within people's lives and we have a lot of testimonials too many to mention now of, of turn, youngsters turning around their lives from being in units transformation attitude families getting together as well because not just for the user the individual families get involved as well and we had the policy and we're trying to re revert back to that policy that you know when families come to the shows that we do, if they're big families, we, we take away the financial uh, burden for them. So we try and assist them to come so they're not paying. So we obviously have to cover costs for the shows, yeah. but we try and keep it minimal so families can come and be a part of the, of the, of the experience. Right, right. And yeah. build bridges, build relationships. And, and we have 
which which I won't mention in, in detail names or anything, but we've had opposing gang members come into the club and then finding they build relationships with each other and no longer being involved involved in gang gang lives. Yeah, and that's that's really um, that's really positive to be fair, and and it's still running strong it's even today. Strong. We we're planning our October show in in uh, 26 of. Um, of October in in St John's Church Hall in 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 which Palms, were you? Uh, was, uh, Palms Green. Was that the well, one I went to? The um, one, I think the one you came to. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. It was really um, it was really amazing to see some of the yes. fighters, and it was quite funny because I even saw random friends so um, that yeah. I hadn't seen in a long time over there. Um, so is that where Chris and Andreas trained? Um, Andreas boxed for Eagles. Christopher boys for Harringay Boxing Club. Oh, okay, Police Boxing Club. Uh, but Andreas box first, but they have trained in our gym, and as you know now, they've got their own gym in uh, in, in, Cop in, in Cop Fosters, the Fit Factory. So uh, yeah, they're, they're doing they're doing excellent. I mean, they're they're role models themselves. They they've done uh, you know fantastic. Their training, their attitude is, is amazing, and uh, you know that's all. My sons are Fodi. I've got a son called Fodi as well. He's been he's involved in the boxing there as well. My daughter goes and supports there as well, Marissa. <laughs> so so it, it's a. I think boxing is the centre thing, but life is a fight mm. in a sense it's how you approach things you can be a positive and optimist or, or pessimist but it's attitude outlook in life and i believe you know there's an effort to achieve anything in life whatever you do but if you right put the right principles in place you will have those particular outcomes and knowledge is power for myself knowledge is power so we we help people we help young people old people anyone how to navigate through whatever either spiritually physically or emotionally we help them navigate through these things through life's uh, life's contradictions. So, so um, I'm. I know the boys travelled around a little bit when they were doing their pro. Yeah. Were, were you there with them, or was I, this? I, I, I took. Well, I was the one who arranged everything. I right. took Christopher. For, in fact, when he went for the Olympic qualifiers, I organised. He didn't know, but I booked myself and I went with him. I was with him throughout the whole process. I've been with him every country he's been to. I was there with him from Pescara, Romania. Greece, America, you name it, I've been everywhere wow. with him and Andrea in their career. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, so, you know, you're a religious man, you you work at Edmonton Eagles, you you were managing your son's um, career, so it was quite a, you were doing quite a lot, to be fair. I, like, you have to live life. You know, the thing is, I officiate in the church, and when I, I'm asked to officiate a funeral service, I say this, I say, you know, the tragedy in life is not that people die. The tragedy in life is that people haven't lived. And the thing is you can exist or you can live. People more and more exist. They go through the grind of life, but there is life. There is more to life. There's adventure in life. There's excitement in life. But, you know, some people choose to procrastinate and not, be, but I encourage people to do things, go out of your comfort zone sometimes. You find it's good. <laughs> yeah, 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 100%. You know, I start a podcast. I, I've run five marathons. <laughs> right, it's like podcasts. It's, yeah, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not comfortable. You know, I don't really. You know, I appreciate yeah, you being do with you, stuff but, like but this. I'm, I'm happy to to share some of my thoughts. But so I did five marathons, London marathon. I did four London marathons, one Athens, and I'm looking contemplating doing another one. But anyway, that's something else. But when you're running a marathon, you come to a point where they call it. You come to the wall, like you go to a place your body wants to give up. And from then on, you're no longer running on your physical, you're running on your mental. It's your mental drives your physical. And life sometimes comes out of the comfort zone. You can say, I want to give up now, 
But when you finish the, the when you cross the finishing line, you feel such a great relief, such a great achievement in yourself. And that's what life is about. Sometimes push yourself out of the comfort zone and you feel good about yourself. Or do something for someone else, not just for yourself. You'll feel good about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to say this. I don't know how long we've got, but I'll just right. say a story. There was a, I was visiting a young man in hospital for, for a long period of time. And, um, and he wasn't speaking. He was... He was underway quite considerably, it was about seven stone, it was about six foot, but he went down to seven stone. And he wasn't speaking and the hospital was saying to me at that time, look, he's, he hasn't got long to go. And I said, look, look I, believe he, I believe there can be a turnaround. So I was, I was uh, visiting him on a daily basis to the point that everyone had enough of me and they wanted to get rid of me. But they said, why are you coming in? I said, because of compassion, you know, you know, you know, I, but, I, but I don't want to, you know, if I can do something to add to his life. So I, t- I was going, he wasn't eating. And my daughter came with me one day. She said, you know, Dad, why don't you get him some Kentucky? So I, I, uh, I bought him some Kentucky, whatever. I took him in the room. I left it there. We left the room. And we were looking for the window. And turned, he started eating. And that was the turnaround. And he started to eat. He started putting on weight, but he still wasn't talking. And there's a lot of politics going around, but I don't want to talk about that. I just tell the outcome. And so one day I came into the room. Sorry about that. That's okay. And uh, he wasn't talking. And I, I felt the hospital didn't want me to go anymore. And I, I went into the room and I said, listen, I said to him, I called him by his name. I said, listen, they're going to stop me coming to visit you. So he turned around. The first time he spoke, he goes, no, they're not, he said to me. Sorry about that. Sorry, I'm just getting emotional. He said, no, they're not. I said, why? Because I told them the first time he spoke. And he said to me, why are you doing this? So I said to him, It's all right. Maybe you can cut this out. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I said to him, you know the story of the Good Samaritan? He goes, oh, oh, yeah. He goes to me, I understand. He goes, oh, yeah, I don't know if you know the story of the Good Samaritan, where there was a man afflicted on the wounded road, on the, on the Jericho Road, and a, a priest passed in and helped him, a Levite passed in and helped him, but a Samaritan, who was his enemy, stopped and helped him and poured oil and wine and put him on his, on his animal and took him to the inn and paid for him to be healed. And I told him, I said, did you know this? And, and he goes, yeah, I know, but he didn't understand what I meant. What I meant was this. I was afflicted. And uh, when you help someone, it says healing. We all have challenges in our lives. And when you help someone else, you're healing yourself. Anyway, I thought I'd share that story. Yeah. I shouldn't have shared it because I get too emotional because it's so vivid, so real. But he came out of hospital and he's went back to his, he went back to life from being on his deathbed. He came out. And that was all because something was somebody cared. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's amazing, to be honest with you. I've heard this before as well about people helping other people to help heal themselves. We and get healed, we're healed, but people don't realize, they think, take, take, it's all about me, it's not about us, we're part of a, a body, we're human. Mm. Yeah, I understand that, I understand. So, um, 
just keep trying to do right by people you and do. keep trying to be of service. It doesn't matter if people disagree with you, it doesn't matter. As long as in yourself you have got the right convictions and you're doing it for the right reasons, there's no ulterior motive. You're driven by value, not by outcome. Well, I want to get this, I'm doing this. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and this, and this, I've run seminars, not religious seminars in a sense, but, I run, but it's all faith based as well. I run seminars and. Um, to help people better their lives. So you give them a, pro, a, a, a way forward how to navigate and get to, and, and achieve things, not material, let's say, but for themselves. How do you, um, how do you deal with like, it's, it's, it's important to give, but how do you deal with the takers? Because some people desperately need your, need help while yeah. other people are just waiting for an opportunity to get. It, it, it finds its level. You, there's a wisdom in that, as you, as you know, as you're giving, and sometimes people do take, but ultimately, in the long term, you don't stop doing it because of the takers. You do it because of the people who have need, and something, something finds its level and it's sifted out, and then you, you pay forward because you, 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 you rise above it. And if something happens that's not right, then you learn from that and you move on. But you carry on doing good in spite of people taking advantage of. Mm. Your good, yes, your good yeah. nature. It's just important to be responsible enough to you, know you've got to act. Yeah, and you've got to act according to your 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 nature and don't change because if there's if there's ninety people who are doing bad and one who has a need, then you keep doing it because ultimately that one is the one you're you're doing it really ultimately for. So so we're we're nearly out of time, but one okay. thing I really wanted to talk to you about is the incredible achievement of getting an MBE. Okay, um, can you um, tell me the story yeah, around this? Around, yeah, it, it's basically for a lot for many years. It's it's, it's a result, really, a recognition, acknowledgement of the work I've done through the community. I what I've been sharing about the youth work, community work, inspire unconditionally. So I, I serve the community and, and we, we improve anyone's life that we can help support and encourage and motivate, we'll do it without any, any expectation, whether people appreciate it or don't appreciate it, we keep persevering, it's like consistency. And that is what was recognized because it's visible. If you do something and people benefit, they might share it and through that, and it was uh, you know, a humbling experience but it, it was, you know, in a, in a sense, it helps uh, acknowledge and validate the work that we do and it gives it a bigger platform. So, so and people, other people will support because of those accolades or that achievement, but it was an honor to receive that. And, uh, and you know, and carry on, keep doing the work. So it's not finished because you receive something, it's yeah. not the end. It's a part of a journey and I think God for that, and I think the royal family, I think the palace for that, and so forth. And it's good because you know people acknowledge what you do, so keep doing good. So I encourage other people keep doing what you're doing. It doesn't matter if people see it or not; you just do it. That's what's important. No, thank you for sharing that, by the way. And it's, um, and then the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was obviously Ezra Taylor. Yes. Um, so he's fighting in September. In the 23rd of September. On the Joe Joyce. Joe Joyce Zhang card. Yeah. The card. Yes, he's boxing. It's going to be six, seventh bout. Yes. It's going to be seventh bout. He's fighting. Currently uh, six and zero, oh, isn't he? He's six and zero, oh, and he's fighting Joel McIntyre, uh, light heavyweight, and we're look, expecting a good performance by him. An excellent. He's, 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 he's a consummate 
professional. He crosses the T's and dot the I's. He works very hard tirelessly and, you know, got high hopes for him. I believe him. He's a world super champion in waiting. It's just the right opportunities and you'll see him uh, raising the world title. I believe that's what I believe. Well, and it's for him to I, I prove do that I, I can do outside the ring and he's doing what he can in the ring. We've got a great promotion. Frank Warren, Warren Hall of Famer, who's a great promoter, great support, all the team, Andy Aylen, the Warrens, fantastic, great people to work for me. It's great people to work with. You know, I've, I've worked with them before and I'm great working with them now. I appreciate them. So, you know, it's a teamwork. It's not, you know, Ezra has to do all the work. Yeah, yeah, in the main. Yeah, he's got to prove but, himself but in the he, ring. Yeah, but he, he's got all the, everything he needs, all the tributes and, you know, you know and, he's, and, he's, and he's a man of faith. You know, he's, he prays, uh, he, you know, he, he's, you know, he shows his character, reflects what he, what his faith is, which is wonderful. I think it also goes back to what you were speaking about earlier, um, about, you know, it's one thing to have all the right ingredients in the recipe and then, but patience is also Correct. one of the fundamentals in the, Correct. in this game. So Correct. you can't rush that process. It's, it's a process and, and, and there's a lot in life, there will be distractions, but you've got to stay focused on that vision, on the plan. Mm. You know, uh, you know, it's it's to get to get to the outcome. You need to, there's a way to get to to move forward, and, and not, not everyone's got opinions. But it's not about that. It's what's the right thing for for yeah. us, for him, for us, and people's journey. It's that trust, isn't it? And then you trust you trust in the right people, you trust, in trust in yourself. In people. And we've seen the evidence when you looked along from people interfering your life. Things can go bad, as we've seen many examples through the media, through sports, different sports and different ways, different lives. You know, not everyone is qualified to speak into our lives. Make sure you're the right people speak into your life. Not everyone has the qualification to have your ear and speak into your life. It's what the motive behind that. Why is that person? What 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 is the the the, the motive behind? Well, yeah, that? you know. Yeah, and we've got to be driven by values. I wrote a book called "Success Is Not an Accident." In fact, I wrote it when I was with Christopher and when Christopher was training in the Mayweather uh, gym in Las Vegas. I was oh, I, I, I don't I was in the casino. I was in the the Airbnb, and uh, I was there. And um, I, I I thought, what do I do in in Las Vegas? Because what what happens in Las Vegas? Yes. They say stays in Las Vegas. I didn't leave in Vegas. I brought it over here. I wrote a book called Success Is Not an Accident. So for what what elements, key ingredients to help people become successful? So I've outlined in the book. It's called Success Not an Accident. I run seminars based on that thing. So I'm saying so. So not everyone is qualified to speak in our lives, but I've read some key key principles in that to show what we need, the attitude we need to have to have to move on, move forward and become the best we can become. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you uh, for sharing yeah. that. And success is not about material things. What, what, is, what does success mean to you? So, so success means to me have a peaceful disposition, enjoy the journey because it's, you know, it's the journey. Not the it's, destination. Not the destination, outcomes, detach from outcomes, enjoy the journey and do what you feel convicted to do. As so someone was once said, if you do what you love, you never have to work a day in your life sort of thing. You know, yeah, that's yeah. the kind of mindset. So, so, you know, enjoy the journey. So don't, don't, don't change the carrot. You never get, you never catch it. So every day, maximize the day. Today, my time with you now is the most important time with you. I don't know when I leave this studio, I don't know, it might be my last last breath. Let's hope not. Yeah, let's hope not. Yeah, 
it might be the last words I say. So mm. enjoy everyone we encounter, value them. Don't just look beyond them. Everyone is important. It's the same with boxing. When you say to a boxer, what do you hope to achieve? Well, the f- next bout is the most important, is the world, is the next bout. You don't look beyond that because if you start looking beyond that, you're going to undermine that and undervalue it and not respect that. Then that that could be a banana. You know, you yeah, can that's s- right. Sideswiped and then you there's nowhere else. So every moment in life is important. Every person you meet, that moment with that person is the most important because that's the only moment you have. It's a sequence of time. That's the only important time we have today. So when I'm speaking to you, I've got to value you. I've got to respect you and I've got to be genuinely and present yeah you see yeah. so what i'm speaking to i've got to say genuinely from my convictions i don't i'm not making up stories for you just to pass time it's this important yeah yeah well fa- thank you i mean we've we've covered quite a few um angles today and then to be I honest I'm, I'm sure there was uh, a few more things maybe we can do that as a part no, two no that's lovely thank you. I, I appreciate that thank you very much yeah and, and good luck with uh, Ezra's fight in September thank you and I hope you're going to be there yeah yeah I'll do my <laughs> best to yeah I'll be in the, I'll be in the corner with you that's lovely um, yes no fa- thank you Costa and appreciate your time that's today great experience being with you cheers thank you